Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Well, if we haven't met before, my name's Jamie. I'm part of the pastoral staff here at Beulah. And man, I'm really excited that I get to chat with you for a little bit this morning. I don't often get to occupy this space. It's usually a few feet that way. Um, with my security blanket that's known as my guitar. Um, so I feel very vulnerable up here without something to hold on to. Um, but it's just really, really great that I get to, to chat with you a little bit uh, this morning. If, if anybody knows me, uh, and if you've been even uh, at West Campus at some time when I'm leading worship, I, I only know how to be passionate. I don't know how to do anything else. Um, what you see up here is, is really just who I am all the time. I was actually out for uh, a date with my wife on Friday night and I caught myself going like, man, I'm just, we're, I can't even remember what we're talking about. I think we were talking about like, I don't know, um, like RRSPs or something like that. And I'm just like, ah, I'm just like super excited about it. I'm really passionate about it. My heart's right on my sleeve. And, and uh, if, if you're part of our Beulah creative team, you know that whether it's a team night or just devotions, um, uh, like I, it's, it's the same thing. I'm just really passionate. And there's always this moment uh, where people are just wondering how many minutes in until Jamie starts crying. And that's just, that's just the thing. <laughs> So I, I get pretty passionate. Um, I, I've learned to not apologize for it, but just to warn people about it. Um, and uh, so if, if you have a bet of how many minutes until Jamie starts crying, the clock starts now. All right, we are in a series called Stand Against, where we're learning how to put on the full armor of God to stand against the devil. And, and you know, the thing that, that's interesting is the Bible's really clear that it's about the full armor of God. We, we don't get to pick and choose like what pieces we like and which ones we kind of want to leave in the closet or on the shelf. It's sort of when we get ready in the morning, right? Like there isn't, there isn't a day that we get ready and, we, and you know, we're thinking, okay, so I got to get ready head to toe to go out into the environment that I'm going out to today. It, it's not like today I got ready and said, you know what? I'm just not feeling pants today. Like I just don't want to do pants. No, you put your pants on before you go out your house. And today you put on a couple extra layers and maybe two pairs of pants because it's really cold. In the same way, what we do physically, we have to do spiritually. God says, here's the, th- here's the stuff you need to have on so that you can actually be effective in the environment that you're going into spiritually. And each piece of armor is a piece of God's strength that he gives to us to actually effectively stand against the schemes of the devil. So to, to make sure that, that you don't miss anything, I really hope you're tracking with us every single week. And if, if you miss a week, that's why we have things on our podcast and, and on our YouTube channel. Go back and, and re-listen and, and re-watch those messages. I want to give us just a quick little recap before we jump into this week. In week number one, Daniel reminded us that the devil is a real spiritual being. The Bible says that he is the accuser, the slanderer, the ruler of this world, the evil one, the adversary, the enemy, the serpent, the tester, the wicked one, the father of lies, and that we are called to be strong, to put on the full armor of God, and to stand together. There's something in the strength when we do this together. In week number two, just last week, Pastor Neil was with us and, and he was talking about the belt of truth and how, how he was putting it is the truth of the matter is the battle has been won, but it also rages on. And the truth of the matter is that truth is a person and that's Jesus. That's really important. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. And also the truth of the matter is when you know the truth, you live in truthfulness. So all this stuff, God, God decided to... to 
through Paul, give us this imagery of these different pieces of armor that God has given us to stand against the devil. So, so this week, we're going to talk about righteousness and the breastplate of righteousness. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. It's Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read a little bit of that here. Uh, I'm at the age in my mid-40s now. I take my glasses off to read. I always thought when I was younger, like, that's a weird thing. Don't you wear glasses to see? Why would you take them off to see? That's just what happens when you get older. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, says this, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on what? The full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest. You know, the soldier in, that, in those times, I mean, I, I think this is probably one of the easiest parts of the metaphor that we can understand, this breastplate. It, it was often made of bronze. You know, some historians believe that like the full armor weighed somewhere around 70 pounds. That's a, that's a lot of weight to carry around with you going into battle. And most of that weight was in the breastplate because of just how big it was. It covered the whole torso. And most historians also agree that it covered the front and very, very little of the back. Which actually, if God is choosing to use this to talk about something as far as standing against, there's something about front-facing and not turning your back. And not only that, there was something really interesting about the breastplate is it would actually have these, these loops or these buckles and it would attach to the belt. And when the belt was tightened, the two kind of became one. And that's going to be really important for us later on to, to really understand how this all kind of works when we take this metaphor and try to figure out what does that look like in our spiritual lives. So there's two things we need to understand. We need to understand the breastplate. Okay, well, we've got a little bit of that. We're gonna come back to that in a little bit. But now we got this word righteousness. Righteousness is kind of one of those really churchy words, right? What does that even mean? Like often I think when we hear righteousness, we actually hear it often in a, in a negative con connotation. Because we, we think of like self-righteous. Self-righteous people, those people that kind of like they look down their nose at you, you know, they, they're, they're living to some sort of particular standard that, that someone has set, maybe even themselves, and because of their own merit, their own strength, their own achievements, they've kind of reached this particular level and they think somehow I'm better than the people around me, and they become self-righteous. And when, when, when we live in the self-righteous kind of world, what, what actually ends up happening is we live in a world of comparison. And so the people that are succeeding, maybe better than you, somehow you go like, ah, I don't really like you. And you only feel good as if there's people you can look at that somehow are worse off than you. And you'd be like, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. That's what happens when we set righteousness on a human standard. But what happens when we set it to God's standard? What is righteousness then? What does God say about righteousness? Because in the term of righteousness, we're talking about right standing before God, right living. You know, there are people who are way smarter than I am that have spent a lot of time on this particular subject. One of them, his name is Benjamin Warfield, and he was a theologian, he was a scholar, he was a professor. He says this in the area of righteousness when it comes to the standard of God. Listen to this. There is nothing in us or done by us at any stage of our earthly development because of which we are acceptable to God. We must always be accepted for Christ's sake. 
or we cannot be accepted at all. This is not true of us only when we believe, it's just as true after we believe. It will continue to be true as long as we live. Our need of Christ does not cease with our believing, nor does the nature of our relationship—sorry, nor does the nature of our relationship to Him or to God through Him ever alter. No matter what our attainments in Christian graces or our achievements in behavior may be, it always—it is always on His blood and righteousness alone that we can rest. That is a mouthful. So, what does the Bible say? Well, Romans three ten says, "There's no one righteous." Not even one. And what Benjamin Warfield is saying is there's something about righteousness and the standard of God. There's something about when we believe and there's something about righteousness after we believe. And we need to understand both of those things before we can begin to understand how this breastplate of righteousness can be effective for us. Well, when we look at the standard of God, there was a relationship that humanity had with God at one point, and it was perfect. But as you know the story, sin entered the world, and that relationship was broken. And everyone that comes after that is now under that curse of sin and that broken relationship with God. And God set forth a plan to fix that broken relationship through His Son, Jesus. Right? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he would give his one and only Son that whoever would believe, whoever would believe, would not die, would not perish, but have everlasting life. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn it. He sent his Son to save the world, to right that relationship. So Jesus did come. He lived a perfect, sinless spotless life and through that offered himself as a sacrifice to take on the sins of the world yours mine those who came before us those who are with us now and those who may come after us all of that sin he took on himself and in his death and resurrection, not only did he conquer sin, he also conquered death. And the Bible says that when we come and believe, when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, he withdraws that sin out of us. And he doesn't leave us empty. He deposits his righteousness. The Bible says this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom of God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. There has never been, nor will there ever be a greater transaction than that, that I can come to Jesus through the cross and have all of my sin forgiven and in his place receive the righteousness of Christ. Today we're talking about guarding our heart. And the first thing we need to know about righteousness is there's nothing you can ever do to earn it. Do you remember all the time we spent in Philippians? It was a long time. We went verse by verse through that book. Do you remember this part in chapter 3? And be found in him not having righteousness of my own from the law. It's not something that I earned by just being so good but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So when I come and I give my life to Jesus, 
when I accept the gift of salvation, he withdraws that sin and he deposits his righteousness. He clothes me in righteousness. Now when I stand before God, it's not my sin that he sees. He sees the righteousness of Christ. I am clothed in his righteousness. I didn't earn that. I can't boast in that. That's not something I somehow figured out how to achieve. I can't look down my nose at anybody else and say, well, I did this because I was so great. No, all I did is surrender because I saw the brokenness and sin in my life. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And he deposited his righteousness in me. I am now positionally righteous. But here's the thing. If being positionally righteous was the only thing I needed to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the Bible would have nothing to say about living righteously. But the Bible has a lot to say about living righteously, about holy living. There was another, another word that we talked, that we just sort of blew right past. It's another one of those churchy words I think we need to talk about in 1 Corinthians. It says that he became the wisdom of God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Sanctification is another one of those really churchy words, but it's so important. If we don't understand this, then, then the breastplate of righteousness and, and how we guard our heart, it begins to actually not hold a lot of weight. And I think the enemy loves to just steer us away from, from this part. Here's the best definition I ever heard of sanctification. Sanctification, listen to me, is becoming in practice, which you already are in position. Let me say that again. Sanctification is becoming, ongoingly, becoming in practice, what you already are in position. Well, what are we in position? I am the righteousness of Christ. When the enemy comes at me with accusations, I just have to point to that. No, I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. But also there's this becoming in practice, this practical living, living in the light of the truth of what God says is true. And it is that, when I begin to live in that way, it actually causes me to live in an upright kind of way instead of upside down. What does the Bible say about this? In John, 1 John 3.10, it says this, so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously, does not love other believers, does not belong to God. 1 Timothy 6.11, but you, man of God, those who are following Jesus, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, Another great man, Thomas Merton, wrote this. He says, The enemy is more easily overcome if he's not suffered to enter the door of our hearts, but is resisted without the gates at its first knock. What does this mean? It's that we not only understand the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us positionally, but it's also we need to know that we've been called by the same God to live righteous lives, not perfect that's another scheme of the devil. He will convince you that it's actually perfection is what you need to be living for. No, that could not be further from the truth. If perfection was even an opportunity, then Jesus would not need to come. And let me also encourage you by saying this, everyone that is tried 
to live that perfect life has failed. Only Jesus. So it's only through Jesus that I can be righteous. But he also wants to, to teach me what it is to live righteously as I live in the way and the truth of what is actually true of me positionally. Then I actually begin to see that the, the truth of what I am positionally becomes more and more valuable. Listen to that again. When you begin to live in the light of the truth of who God says you are, and you live upright, you live according to his word, you allow his voice to speak into your life, you allow that to be the thing that shapes you, then what you are and who you are positionally only increases in value. I'm looking to the people who have been walking with Jesus for decades, and I'm looking for you to nod your head and go, yeah, that's true. The longer I live this life and I follow Jesus, the more valuable that becomes. It's first about what Jesus has done for us in making us righteous. Then it is what we do in the light of that. It's not the other way around. We don't earn it. So of all the pieces, all the pieces of armor that, that could be chosen to, to link righteousness, why the breastplate? Why would that be the thing when it comes to like where, who we are positionally and how God is calling us to live practically? Why would that be the breastplate? Why is that the metaphor? Well, the breastplate covered the most vital of organs, our heart. Your heart physically is the very life source for you. It right now, even while you sleep, it is, it is, it is pumping blood that is carrying oxygen to every part of your body. If any part of your body is cut off from that flow, it just begins to die and rot. Your mind, or sorry, your, your heart is made up of four things. It's made up of your mind, what you think. It's made up of your, your emotions, what you feel. It's made up of your ambition, what you purpose to do. And it is made up of your conscience. Your conscience is not the voice of God. Your conscience is like the microphone that amplifies the voice within you. And this is why the breastplate is righteous. The breastplate is living holy because it guards your heart. It guards your mind. It guards your, your emotions, your ambition, your conscience. And if I was your enemy, because I know something about the heart, all I need is one shot. One shot and I can take you out. Because if I can get to your heart, I can begin to mess with your mind. I can begin to mess with the way that you're thinking and really get it all distorted and get you off track. And if I was after your heart, I could, I could begin to mess with your emotions. I can, I can start changing the way you're, you're feeling about something and, and begin to make you think that what you're feeling is actually true. Hey, has anybody here been betrayed by their emotions? Come on, I know I have. So many times I felt something is true and it turns out, no, it's not what's true. It's just pointing to something else. And if I was after your heart, I could start to go after your ambition, what you purpose yourself to do. I can get you distracted from the things of God and put it on just yourself. Hey, just do it for you because you're worth it. You need to be about it. You need to not worry about what that person thinks. You need to actually push that person aside. I can start to, to mess with your ambition. And if I can mess with your, your conscience, if I can actually mess with that microphone, I can cut you off from the very voice of God. If I was your enemy, I'd come after your heart. So God says, put on righteousness, put on holiness as the breastplate, not one that you've earned, but we clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ and we live in the light of that. So when the enemy comes at us, when you have the armor of God on and the enemy comes at you, 
and you stand your ground and you stand against, the enemy flees. He'll look for a more easy target. Walking in righteousness will guard your heart and you'll be able to stand against the enemy. Let me quickly tell you about two kings in the Old Testament. One was living upright, his heart guarded by God. One was living upside down, guarding his own heart with his own strength and his own merit. The first is Saul. Saul was an anointed king of Israel. Did, did a lot of great things. But you know what? He began to start doing things out of, out of a different ambition. I, I think the enemy started messing with his ambition and messing with his mind and messing with his emotions and cutting off some of that voice of God that he was hearing. Because it got so bad that, that he didn't always follow God's instructions. And, and not only that, at one point, he even, after a victory that God gave him, Saul went up on a mountain and made a monument to himself. I mean, you can read about it in 1 Samuel 14 and 15. And this is the part, I'm telling you, it blew my mind when I read it this week. At one point, God even says, I regret making Saul king. <gasps> That's because he thought he could guard his own heart. And then there's another king. His name is David. How does the Bible refer to David. David is a man after God's own heart. D David wasn't perfect. Oh, you can go and you can go in the Old Testament, you can begin to read about it. He was far from perfect, but he lived with his heart upright towards God. How do I know this? Look in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in everlasting way. Even when David knew, hey, it's not about perfection. It's about living with your heart upright, living in the light and the truth of who God is and who he says he is in you and allowing God to see that. And you say, God, if there's anything offensive within me, would you reveal it to me? Because I want to live in the everlasting way that you have for me. He lived with his heart upright. There was another guy in the Old Testament. His name is Solomon. Solomon was one of the wisest people to ever live. Some scholars believe he's still the wisest person that ever lived. So here's somebody that is really esteemed in the area of wisdom when it comes to the things of God. And what does he say about the heart? He says, above all else, above everything else, guard your heart. Why? Because it is the very source of life. He knew if the enemy's going to come at you, he's coming at your heart. Do you remember how I was telling you the breastplate and the belt kind of worked together? How the, it, the breastplate had these, like, these loops or these buckles. It's because the breastplate was too heavy to carry just by itself. It was so heavy that, that if you were in battle, like just the way it hung on the shoulders, it just wasn't enough to keep it on there. And so these, the belt would attach into these loops and these buckles. And as you tighten that belt it would seat the breastplate in place so it wouldn't fall off. 
And if the belt began to loosen, the breastplate would just fall right off of a soldier, leaving that soldier incredibly exposed. This is why scripture says you need the full armor of God, not just pieces. If you're not using it all, you're going to be exposed. And some of it might even just fall off and you don't even know it. And then, bam, you're hitting the heart. Well, what's the belt? The belt is the truth. So every time the enemy comes at you with a little accusation, you need to know the truth. Well, what is the truth? I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm living with my heart upright towards God. Not perfect, upright. I'm walking in the things and the truth of God. You first start there. You know the word of God. You know the truth that is in these pages. But what did we learn last week from Pastor Neil? Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when those doubts begin to, begin to come, you know what you do is you go back to Jesus. And when you go to Jesus, when you know him, and I'm not just talking know him on a weekend. I mean, like the, the knowing and living in the righteousness of Christ, wearing the belt of, of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, it's not a once a week luxury. It's an everyday necessity. You know Jesus. When, when you build that relationship, when you live upright, you're tightening that belt and seating that breastplate in place so that nothing can come at your heart. You need to know Jesus. I'm going to tell you one more story. And I really hope that this story highlights how knowing Jesus, knowing the truth, seats that breastplate of righteousness in place that can guard your heart. Last week, last week I had the opportunity to sit with my aunt in her very last moments on earth. It was, without a doubt, one of the most difficult things I've had to do, but also at the same time, one of the most beautiful experiences. And actually, it wasn't just me, it was a bunch of our family members uh, together. And something happened that I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for. I wasn't prepared for it, and I, w- I had no idea the impact it was going to have on me. One of my other family members got up and went to my aunt's bedside and just asked her so gently and so quietly, she said, what piece of wisdom do you want to give to us before you go. I mean, how do you do that? How do you take decades of life? I mean, she had ups, she had downs, she had a a myriad of experiences. How How do you summarize that when somebody asks you and you know you're in your final moments and someone asks you, could you give me a piece of wisdom? How do you summarize that? My aunt, I truly believe it was from God because she was able to summarize all the wisdom that she could offer us in three words. 
And these three words impacted me so deeply as I thought about bringing this word to you this weekend. Because if we can get this, we can understand what it is to wear the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Three words to summarize a life. Three words to offer to wisdom to those that still have some life to live. Her three words, walk with Christ. Thanks for listening and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.